Hello and welcome to our podcast, Baby Baking and Kid Raising, hosted by myself, Eliza Carr, a passionate midwife, new mama and founder of Bump and Bub, as well as my co-host, Dr. Joseph Scorey, an obstetrician, gynecologist and fertility specialist, as well as a dad of three. Together, we will be discussing topics from fertility through to parenthood and everything in between. Each week, we will be joined by inspiring guests who share their own journeys through fertility, pregnancy, birth and parenthood, as well as educational episodes from us, a midwife and an obstetrician. So the road to becoming an obstetrician and midwife for many of us starts a long time, way before we started university, way before we even thought about doing midwifery or obstetrics. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be a midwife. So I remember I learned that there was this job and this job was helping to deliver babies and I couldn't believe that it was a real job. I think I was probably 11 or 12 um, and I remember saying to my mum, mum, I came home and I was so excited. Obviously, she'd had two children and I was talking to her about this job that I'd heard about and she helped me explore this this um, dream that I had when I was not even a teenager and from there, probably yeah, 12 or 13, I knew I wanted to be a midwife. It's all I wanted to do. I couldn't, there was nothing else I wanted to do. I wanted to be a mum and I wanted to be a midwife. Um, and we had a beautiful family friend who was having her fourth baby and she invited me to come along to her birth. Um, she had had all beautiful, straightforward vaginal births and invited me along. And it was a small country hospital we went to. I was probably 14 at this time and baby was out in two hours. Nothing, like She made it look like the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, I and I remember that. just thinking, wow, like how incredible is that? Obviously, this was the you know, beautiful ideal birth that she'd had. She got up and walked out of hospital about four hours later. We all went home. It was amazing. And I was hooked from that moment. I had watched every episode of One Born Every Minute, watched every episode. Um, I was just absolutely obsessed. And so when I finished school, I knew I was going to be a midwife. I was 17 when I finished school and worked my butt off to get the grades to be a midwife because it was so competitive in Sydney at the time. Um, and yeah, I started uni when I was 17, went to the University of Technology and was absolutely blown away, was so obsessed from the minute that I started and we in, in midwifery, we have continuity of care women. So we look after women from uh, when they find out they're pregnant into their postpartum. And yeah, every single time I was just so excited. When I did graduate and I started being paid, I would honestly, I just couldn't believe it. I remember I would call my mom a hundred times to be like, I am being paid to do my, like, this is my dream. I'm with women during the most incredible moments of their lives and I'm being paid to do this. And I still feel that way. A little bit more tired these days and a little bit more, I mean, it's still just the most phenomenal thing in the world and I'm sure you can also attest to that. Absolutely. But. <laughs> so for someone who's thinking about, you know, if you're a young girl or boy, because there are, of course, mm, male midwives, um, if young boy or girl who's thinking about midwifery, so how do you, I mean, you were fortunate. You had mm. someone who was you know, influential in your circle that allowed you that experience mm. of being able to be involved in her birth, which is yeah. an impressionable time in your mm. life. How does someone, th you know, what, what sort of things do you think that they should go through in order to get to that point? Mm. I mean, it's a tricky one. It's obviously you can't just waltz into any anyone's birth um, and know that if that's right for you. And I know in midwifery we had a very high dropout rate, one of the highest dropout rates, if I'm correct, um, out of all university degrees. It was a huge, huge dropout rate. And I think, you know, it's – it's not for the faint-hearted, um, A, just being in a delivery room, but then also the hours, the, you know, 
the pay or lack thereof, um, being on call, you know, it's so much. And when, I guess, in midwifery as well, when things do go wrong and when things aren't ideal, they're, you know, heartbreaking and they can be crushing and it's often very hard to come back and go into the job the next day and think, you know, what happened yet? Like, how do you get over something that happened the day before if it was, you know, heartbreaking? So I guess, to be honest, I'm, I, I would explore as much as you can, understand what a midwives do, speak to midwives. You know, I have always have student midwives messaging me on my platform, Bump and Bub, um, asking me, you know, what they can do, what they can look out for, what they can, how do they learn more? Um, and I think there's so many avenues, even YouTube, you know, there's so many um, amazing midwives who share what it's like. Uh, but yeah, just kind of preparing yourself that it's not... I, I had this expectation that I'd be cuddling a lot of babies. It's very not the case. <laughs> you don't cuddle many babies as a midwife. Um, and it's a lot more about being with women and empowering them and educating, you know, families and a lot less about beautiful babies. Um, so, yeah, I think just knowing what's expected of you is yeah. and, and what, what's to come. And I think that's the key that you said with women. I think mm. midwife, the actual term for midwife is it's with, with woman. woman. Yeah. So, you know, that's really important that you're actually there supporting the mm. woman through her journey uh, through pregnancy yeah. and also through childbirth. Have you got sort of one story that's sort of memorable in terms of your care for a woman, whether it be during pregnancy or whether being during childbirth that you can sort of sit back and go, geez, you know, that was awesome. Many. Um, I think one that just when you said that kind of jumped out at me was I looked after this woman who was just beautiful. She was uh, a, just a phenomenal woman and I went to every one of her appointments. I think you have to have like six points of contact or something and I went to every appointment. I was there. I was on call for a birth. She had an amazing birth um, and postpartum and I was with her for probably like 35 weeks from when she started her care in hospital until postpartum um, and just had – I just felt so emotionally attached to her and uh, she invited me to her house. Probably not allowed to do that, but anyway, went to her house um, and we were sitting there having tea and she was just oh, just so beautiful. And she said to me, I never wanted to tell you this, but I'm actually a midwife. I'm actually an educator in a hospital nearby and I never wanted to tell you that I was a midwife because I never wanted you to feel you know, that you were under, under the watchful eye of me or something. So I just let you you know, tell me and teach me and educate me to the best of your ability as a student midwife at 18, 19. Um, and yeah, that was just a moment I was just blown away that she had essentially kept this information to herself. She'd let me talk her through everything. <laughs> let me talk her through absolutely everything in birth, explain cannulas and all not, whatnot. And she's an educator of a hospital nearby. And I just that stands out to me as just such a phenomenal experience. And so that's that's one thing to lead on to. And, and mm. you had someone who effectively was a mentor vicariously, mm. yeah. sort of watching you. Is there anyone that in your you know time as a student or time as a midwife that is impressionable and what skills and qualities do they have that you thought, wow, that's what I want to emulate and aspire to be? I think every every midwife that takes the time or every medical professional who took the time with students, because there's certainly not everyone, takes the time with students in the hospital system to teach them what they're passionate about, what the student midwife might be struggling with and, and work with them, I think has impacted me majorly. And I think that's how I want to be as a midwife. You talk about kid raising, but in this scenario, mm. it's almost like it, as a professional, mm. healthcare professional, educating the future generations, we've got the capacity to be able to shape the way that they actually interact with people in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's one of the, I think, you know, Medicine and, and nursing and midwifery have always worked on a master sort of apprentice type model. I mean, we don't like using that sort of generic term now, but sort of, you know, the, the, the professional and the apprentice behind them. And that model is, is stood the test of time for a long period of time, partly because we're able to impart all this knowledge. And I actually think 
a lot of what we do is less about science, but it's more about an art. Yeah. And you can teach people a lot of stuff about, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, you've got to prescribe this here, you've got to do that there. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, really, it's it's an art. Mm-hmm. It's being able to pick up on those subtleties yeah. that I don't think you can actually learn from a book. Mm-hmm. You can't listen to an lecture. You actually can only get it when you're with someone and oh, watch absolutely. them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember standing at the door of my, I just graduated, it was my first day as an employed midwife and I stood at the door and I was like, oh my goodness, who's going to watch me? Who's going to help me here? (laughs) And it does, you learn, you're on such a steep learning curve when you leave uni and you're by yourself (laughs) and you're looking after these women and these families and yeah, that's that's probably the greatest learning curve that there yeah. is, and that's every birth teaches you something, every family teaches you something. And one of the things I'm I'm really passionate about, and I'm so glad that you and I are both doing this together, is because it, there has been historically, and probably in the, certainly in the last little bit of time since I've been a, a specialist, is this sort of argy bargy between midwives and doctors, and trying to break that all down and re- and, and and sort of realise that we're a team mm. and we're working together to the best interests of the people that we care for, whether yeah. they're women or you know, non, non-binary, gender, whatever the case might be, because ultimately what we're trying to do is have a, engage and have hopefully a positive or allow for a positive experience at yeah. the end of a journey, whether it be fertility, whether it be pregnancy or whether it be the birth. So, yeah. you know, I'm thankful for, number one, for us becoming sort of mm. Instagram friends yeah. <laughs> and secondly yeah. of all, starting this because I think mm, we're going to debunk a lot of theories Agreed. and my, myths about... Um, you know, the differences between midwifery and obstetric practice. That's yeah. quite cool. Absolutely. And when I've told midwives about this, a lot of them have, you know, said, but your practices are going to be so different. And I'm thinking, but they shouldn't be because if if we keep the woman or the family at the centre, that's what matters and that's what we're working towards. And that's, you know, we need to be able to work in partnerships. Pregnancies, you know, often need multidisciplinary teams. We need to be able to work together for the best outcomes. And, and that's one thing that I say to my patients, you know, you know, particularly during the whole time of COVID, there was a lot of psychological mm-hmm. support that needed to be had. And, you know, whilst we can be attuned to that that need, we may not necessarily have the skill sets to be able to, oh, yeah. be able to support that person. And so it is about a team. Yeah. It's about saying, hey, listen, I acknowledge that this is not my area of expertise. For example, lactation. I mean, I will acknowledge that that's not something I know about, but having a team of midwives and lactational consultants and the like to be able to support a woman in areas and facets that are outside my scope is what it's all about. And I don't think, to be honest, you can provide holistic care without every individual team pulling together. Agreed. And anyone that says they they do is... (laughs) not true because I talk about this all the time on Bump and Bub that even preconception, I had such a multidisciplinary team. I had an obstetrician and and not because I struggled at all with fertility, but because I wanted a holistic approach. I saw a women's health physio. I saw an acupuncturist. I saw a naturopath. I saw a nutritionist. I saw an obstetrician. And I knew that by doing this, um, I could get the best of everyone's skill set and I could optimize my journey to fertility and my pregnancy, not relying on one sole person and not because they didn't have, you know, the skill but skill set, but because there's such a wide variety of um, incredible medical professionals or health professionals out there, and why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? You know, use as many skill sets as we can to achieve you know better outcomes. Excellent. And so to round things up, we yeah. talked about this a little <laughs> bit before, but what? Give us a you know, a bit of a story of um, something that's quite funny in your uh, in your time and days as a midwife. Something that sort of uh, the listeners out there would go, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. 
So I'm not sure if anyone would think this is really cool, but we were talking about this just before we came into the studio and um, I had a beautiful couple and I was doing an ARM. So I was uh, rupturing the membranes of this um, beautiful mama. She was having an induction and I thought I had ruptured her membranes. I thought I had broken her waters, um, but we couldn't really see much lycor coming out. And, and I, I, we were having, I was kind of having a look and she was saying, oh, I felt like I, we heard a pop. Oh, I'm not sure. And I... <laughs> Bless her. I looked down quite closely, very closely, and as I did, she moved, her waters broke, and I had a full mouthful, like proper full <laughs> mouthful of lycor. It was it was a moment I won't forget. Bless her. She was so embarrassed, and I was trying to make her not feel embarrassed. Meanwhile, I was soaked in pretty sure there was also a little bit of meconium in there, and it was just it was a moment that I couldn't, couldn't help but laugh. I was soaked, and that was and it. And certainly nothing that could happen now because we all wear masks. Exactly. I was not wearing a mask. I was not wearing goggles. I was not wearing pre-COVID. The pre- yeah, pre-COVID and not wearing the protective gear. So. Excellent. Excellent. And now I'd love to hear about your story and how yeah. did you become an obstetrician? Was it always something that you wanted to do? Yeah. Tell so I, look, it's interesting. When I look back when I was a child, I, you know, I don't think you got a sense of what different type of doctors there were. And I always wanted to be, I think I, my dad was a pharmacist. I always knew that I liked the idea of being in health. Um, but it, but really, I was influenced in 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 part to become a, a doctor, partly because of my GP. I had a really not. I think it was almost a fatherly feel. I was about to cry about thinking about him because the poor guy unfortunately passed away. But he left a very impressionable experience. I think nowadays we actually lose sight of the fact that the GP was really quite powerful back in you know the eighties and nineties in terms of the way they approached your care, mm-hmm. and they were the centre of I suppose all your. It wasn't Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they were the centre of all your queries about your mm. health. And anyway, he, he certainly impressed upon me that this was a pretty good profession. And, and he was a GP obstetrician. So in actual fact, he helped bring me into the world. And I was oh, wow. born in a small hospital in Melbourne called St George's, which, which no longer does maternity care. It's now an aged care facility. And so when I finally got into medicine, you get to see the breadth of the the different type of specialties you can get into, whether it be cardiology, whether it be anaesthetic surgery, and and obviously obstetrics and gynecology was one of them. But one of the things about doing certainly obstetrics and gynecology and women's health when you're a male in a hospital is that you were shunned away from a lot of stuff. I think the midwives and nurses tended to protect, well, in a way, in brackets, protect women from the male medical students. So Mm -hmm. we didn't get much exposure. And I think I had a very similar experience to you. Um, Just before St. George's stopped their maternity care, the hospital that I was born in, I was one of the last group of medical students to actually go there Mm -hmm. and do my obstetric term there. And I, again, very similar to you, had this wonderful experience of a woman who really just like sort of empowered me to be part of the whole birthing process, be part of her birth. And I remember going to the birth and you know, she was she was on all fours and, you know, the midwife was very encouraging me of me as well. I remember sitting underneath her ready to catch this baby, <laughs> the first baby I'm ever going to catch in my life. Yeah. This baby's going to come down head first and it's going to be slippery. And we- I'd seen a few births, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, what if I drop this baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what am I? I'm a sort of a 21-year-old medical student about to drop a baby. <laughs> but it all went beautifully. And afterwards yeah. she wrote this, this lovely letter how I'd supported mm. her during her birth and it did leave a very impressionable 
experience it in part because I'd sort of been able to to catch a baby in a hospital that I'd actually been born in in part because she she really empowered me to be to part of her pro, her, her birthing process and such a beautiful birth and when I finished medical school I actually went to the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and uh, the Alfred Hospital didn't have obstetrics and gynecology mm-hmm. so we didn't get a term to do women's health at all. And it's a little bit, it was a bit like a footy, footy team picking competition. You know, you, you have all the boys and girls and you go, oh, you, I want you on my team and I want you on my team. So the cardiologist sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we want you on our team. So for a while there, I was actually going down the path of becoming a cardiologist. How different totally <laughs> to what different. you actually Oh, my God. <laughs> Could you imagine being there every day going, are you smoking? Stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah, putting on weight, stop putting on weight I couldn't do it Um, but anyway so and look I took a pause from medicine from a little while and I actually set up a recruitment company and then I decided to come back into medicine and and at that point just before I was coming back into medicine my wife had our first daughter um, who's now 17 and once again I was filled with that whole joy that whole experience of pregnancy uh, the whole joy of being involved in the birth. And fortunately for my wife, she had a very nice labour and had a beautiful birthing experience. And actually, I remember a bit of a funny story. It was around when the first Harry Potter movies came out. And so this was before <laughs> me doing ONG. Yeah. Before me doing it. I hadn't even, didn't even understand what a contraction really was or mm. anything like that. But I'd come back from work. I was working in my recruitment company. I was the CEO of my recruitment company. I've come back to work and my wife and my sister-in-law were on the bed together and they were having a bit of a chat about Harry Potter. And my sister-in-law, who's now a paediatrician, said to me, oh, you know, Nat's been having these sort of tightenings every 30 minutes or so. And I said to Nat, what are you doing on the bed? Your waters could break. <laughs> no sooner did she get off the bed. Pop. Poof, her her tracky dacks were completely <laughs> soaked, right? And then within five minutes, she just went from naught to 100. She was completely contracting. And I remember wow. ringing the hospital and saying, my wife's in labor. And of course, as you know, they never want to speak to the husband or the yeah. partner. They always please want to speak to the mum. Please the put phone. the mum on the I was like, she can't, she's in pain. <laughs> anyway, I said to put the phone. And they said, well, you better come in. And so that happened. I think it was around about 8.30 and our daughter was born at quarter to midnight. So it was a pretty wow. pretty quick labor. Yeah. Um, but that was really quite impressionable. And and I also got to, to, to be involved in the care with a, a, an obstetrician who I admire here in Melbourne called Lionel Steinberg. And, and just seeing the way he approached the care of women, which is very different to me. He's got a very much a you know, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s sort of I, I'm the doctor, listen to me sort of manner. But, but, but it was very it – was, it was nice in the way that he approached the care. So, and then I thought – and my, I sat down with my wife to make a bit of a joint decision and, and we made a decision that, uh, you know, I, that this was where the path I wanted to go back into. So rather than go back into medicine and finish off my obstetric uh, – sorry, my cardiology training – I actually took, I could have done that in three or four years, and or I could have been a GP within one or two years. I decided to go right back to the start and do obstetrics and gynaecology training. Wow! And you know, I've been very, I've been blessed along the way. I've, I did my training at the Royal Women's Hospital and had you know wonderful mentors. I was fortunate enough also to go and work over in Thailand and mm. learn my craft in terms of laparoscopic endometriosis type surgery. Mm. And then very fortunate to also do a bit of work in Sydney, one of the second best cities in the world. <laughs> <laughs> <Totally> Debatable. <cheap. laughs> uh, 
But uh, you know, I got to go then and and all, and then return back to Melbourne where I did fertility training at the women's. So, you know, that sort of breadth of being able to care for women and for couples preconceptually, and then also, you know, I, I just think like you, I got the best job. I wake up in the morning, I start every day seven o'clock. I don't begrudge getting out of bed. I don't begrudge the midnight phone call. You know about about uh, certain things. I love coming into work. And to be involved in that whole process from preconception, you know, and I'm also very fortunate to be able to do fertility treatment. So putting in an embryo and then I'd love to be able to take a still photo of me putting in an embryo and nine months later being in a yeah. similar position catching a baby. It's phenomenal. Just, it's, a, it's a wonderful. It's magical. It's yeah. literally magical. <laughs> yeah, it's, one, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's great to be able to be passionate about what you do and uh, it's passionate about being able to help people. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the reason why I'm sure you do this. I'm, you know, active on social media because I know that a lot of the people that listen to what I what I say on social media are never going to be my patients, but yeah. I know that I'm influencing their health outcomes oh, because they're chatting to their fertility specialists or they're chatting mm. to their obstetricians about their health care. Yeah. And this is partly the one of one of the reasons why doing this podcast great because it'll have even high hopefully um, further engagement in being able to create and shape change. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this <laughs> and uh, having well we're going to start off with a lot of stuff about our our own or your own journey but we're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of guests over the course of our journey in yeah. doing this podcast where we're going to learn from them and they're mm-hmm. going to teach us how to be better clinicians, how to be better midwives, how to be a better obstetrician. Absolutely. uh, So one of the things that I think about, of course, in terms of our own skill sets is we've got skill sets that might be just around, you know, obstetrics for myself or gynecology and fertility, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that, you know, there are some areas where we need to rely on on a team. And the biggest thing that certainly I found during the whole COVID experience was mental health that was being Mm. such a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a couple of years ago, I did a perinatal mental health uh, diploma. I was so passionate about this topic and I feel like I graduated as a midwife and I was so unprepared for the level of mental health issues. I worked in a public hospital and I would, you know, I would come across women who were struggling or families who were struggling with such a variety of mental health topics from PTSD to postpartum depression and anxiety and psychosis and OCD and all of these things, even eating disorders I saw a lot of and it was something that I felt so unequipped to deal with. Um, And I remember speaking to my best friend, who's also a midwife and educator at Auburn Hospital in Sydney, and her and I decided we had to educate ourselves better. You know, how could we support these families and support these women to the best of our abilities if we didn't even have the knowledge that we needed to do so? And we would, you know, refer on to these amazing organizations um, that I speak about all the time on Bump and Bub and Panda and Gidget Foundation and Beyond Blue and all of these amazing organizations. But I wanted to be able to talk to women about what they were going through and have a deeper understanding and so we did this um diploma together and it was a year and it was so full-on and it was so incredibly intense um learning about you know we did a lot of case studies and outcomes and we looked at evidence and how we can better support women and families and it was so fascinating and i know that's something that we want to focus on in this podcast as well is sharing these stories because no matter how much we do talk about things like postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety which is kind of the most common mental health conditions we talk about in our scope and our field and there's still so much stigma and so much shame and it's something that yeah I really really want to talk talk deeper talk more about and get deeper on and expand as well so for example the other day I spoke about postpartum rage and something that 
we don't talk about very often and I, no joke, probably had 500 messages from mum saying that they didn't know there was a name for it and that they felt this way and they've gotten help for and they felt so much shame around. And, yes, I think something something really important to continue chatting about. Yeah, and I think the other thing to make mention, and it's very, it, it seems that a lot of focus and certainly there is focus on women who have given birth um, or the birth mother giving birth. and yeah. But, you know, there, there's a lot of mental health issues that also happen to the partner, Absolutely. whether it be, you know, the other mother or, or dad. Absolutely. And, and to a certain degree, even the children. Mm. And I think, you know, kids are becoming a lot more cognizant of their own EQ and I think dads are becoming a lot more involved. I mean, gone are the days, you know, when my dad was around and had the, you know, I was born, he was in another room mm. and waiting patiently to just hear notice of the birth of a baby. But... Mm. But now the the males are involved in something that historically men were never involved in. Which is wild because, I mean, they're the other half of this Absolute, child. Absolutely. <laughs> it blows my mind. Absolutely. And yeah. they are also vulnerable from a yeah. mental health perspective. Absolutely. So that's one, one thing actually that I've been very conscious of in my own practice is acknowledging that there is another person involved in this whole process. And whilst you are caring for the birth mother, the mother, there's potentially another mother, there's potentially a dad involved, there's potentially a, a significant other person. Yeah. And it does become, you know, part of that care from a mental health perspective across the whole spectrum. And, and even children, I hear sometimes you see the, the young kids that just are failing to adjust in terms of having that new child, which we'll probably talk about when I'm we do sure. all the kid raising stuff. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Baby Baking and Kid Raising. If you'd like to suggest a guest or connect and see more of us, then head to Instagram at Baby Baking and Kid Raising. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever listening platform you use. Please note that the information provided in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding your own pregnancy, birth and health conditions.